Welcome to Project Update, a weekly podcast about the projects we're working on and settling for what works. I'm Joe Simpson. And I'm Dave Ramsey. How's it going, Dave? Doing really good, Joe. How you doing? Oh, you know, just uh, passing time with uh, Swift UI and uh, you know, banging my head on the keyboard. What are you working on? A lot of code this week. Huge amount of progress. Um which is kind of a good news, bad news situation uh, in this particular case. Uh, started with foreign language variants of the special functions. <clears throat> so the parser has special code for dealing with things like let and while and evaluate these things that can kind of dynamically grow to whatever size they need to be. And particularly the ones that have that bracket, that square bracket notation. Mm -hmm. They needed special code to know when that happens and what to do with all the little chunks there. But all of that code said, look for the word case followed by an open parenthesis. And that's not true in other languages. So step one, figure out how to make that work in other languages. Um, interestingly, all of those weird special code ones in things like Japanese and Chinese and Korean all used the English word. Hmm. It's French, Spanish, German, and Italian that's screwed with the English word. I bet that's annoying to try to type. <laughs> if you're in Japan and you, all of a sudden you got to type the word you know, C-A-S-E, like, are they just picking that out of the menu or toggling into toggling modifier keys to type the right keystrokes? I don't know. There's a lot that I don't know about programming FileMaker in other languages um but so that was relatively easy and i commented it well so it's all nicely broken out and i i'll be able to maintain that in the future and then while i was digging around in there i realized that i missed one of them one of the weird square bracket things i marked it as a comment in the parser that i needed to do it but didn't give it the little to-do notation mm -hmm. so i just kept running over it in my brain and missing it. And so I missed a JSON set element. Mm. And so in about 10 minutes, I knocked that out, which is awesome because what it tells me is I'm getting much more comfortable with writing parser rules and parser variations in Antler. Like now I'm finally at the point where I'm like, okay, I can, I can handle this. Not only have I successfully written a thing, but I think I can successfully maintain it. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome. <clears throat> then I realized that I'd never actually gotten around to figuring out what to do with comments. <laughs> oh, yeah. Um, so step one, get the, the, the rules in place to find them. Mm -hmm. But then it was, well, where do you look for them? And the answer is, Freaking anywhere. Yeah, anywhere and everywhere. Right. Um, yeah, that's just terrible. <laughs> so at this point, what I've got is they're kind of categorized as a kind of white space. Mm -hmm. It's like, well, white space can pop up pretty much anywhere. You can add five spaces and a return around each semicolon with no problem. And so I just said, well, you could also stick a comment anywhere in those things. And that works. The 
only real problem, I gotta double check this. The only real problem there is I may have made a thing where I would end up allowing for a comment inside a field name. Because white space can also occur in field names. Yeah. I have to make myself a little to do <laughs> to double check that. Because I don't think you can do that. Though I should also test it because FileMaker might accept it. Because <laughs> um, I'm starting to find, as I'll talk about in just a moment, there are a lot of things that FileMaker accepts that are not documented in any reasonable fashion. Um, <clears throat> and then I started digging into doing more testing, checking more stuff, and I realized that my error handling code that I'd added a couple of weeks ago was insufficient. Mm -hmm. um, basically what it has is, as it's running through a calculation, anytime it finds an error, it would inform this error handler. And the error handler would just go, okay, stick it in this variable. Stick the data about the error here. And the upshot of this is it really only stored the last error. And because it would just, it would find the first error and it would store it in the variable and it would find the second error and store it in the same variable. So I was like, okay, let's move to a list-based structure so we can store all of the errors. And that caused crazy crashes all over the place. <laughs> Which I think was a multi-threading thing. I think it's actually like spawning little threads to do portions of this parsing mm -hmm. so that effectively it could be handling one error while another error was generated. And that did terrible things to the list and trying to turn that multi-threaded like the, um, the changing the list to one that could handle concurrency also wasn't working. And rather than spending a ton of time messing with it, I just changed that code to go, if we've already stored an error, don't store another one. So it just catches the first error and moves on. Which, in the long run, is all I really care about for now. <clears throat> and in all likelihood, I don't need more than that. I don't know that FileMaker calculations are a place where it is reasonable to try and point out to a developer, you've got errors in all eight of these places. Yeah. Because one single error could be causing all of them. So first error, and for right now, first error is all I need. Is there an error at all? Great. That's it. Uh, so then I added a, like right now, so far, all of my testing has been with hard-coded calculations. I have a little function. The function takes a string that string is the text of the calculation that I want to test. And it was time to start testing thousands of calculations, and in particular ones that I wouldn't have picked for myself. Mm -hmm. And so I wrote the thing that can actually read a DDR, pull out all the calculation strings in the entire DDR, and try and parse them all. Every well, single I one of them. I love how that's the easy part. <laughs> like I'm so good at parsing DDRs. Like this is just a, you know, 30 seconds, reach in here, grab all of those. Well, it's closer to half an hour, but I've got a lot of pre-existing code that does that. Mm -hmm. Like I jumped back into the FM perception windows code and just started grabbing entire functions. I've got a really nice set of extensions for 
asking questions of the XML once it's been parsed. It was like, oh, oh grab those, grab this. Okay, string this together, figure out what uh, what file paths look like in C-sharp.net, but on Mac. Because most of that Windows stuff, I usually expect it to want a Windows-style path with the backslashes. And it turns out that this at least uses the Unix-style pathing with the forward slashes. So that was cool. Um, and oh boy, did it generate problems <laughs> all over the place. That was actually when I noticed that I didn't have the comments because any calculation that had comments flagged as an error. Mm. Um, so started playing with that, made a variant that tested each calculation against a, a hash set. So I wouldn't parse the same calculation over and over and over again. If I'd already parsed the calculation once, I wouldn't parse it again. So all of those spots where we have a calculation where the the calculation string is just the number one, well, I'm only going to test that once per file. Or get current date. Yes, exactly. It will do that exactly once. But if you added an extra bit of white space somewhere in there, it would see that as a variant and it would test that one separately. So that's cool. So I get unique calcs. Um... And then counting everything. So it was the number of errors generated in the number of unique calcs out of the total number of calcs. Like the FM starting point solution has 13,929 calcs in it. Um, and I've got the number that's 4,300 unique calcs. And I'm down to 32 errors that I can't fix yet. Hmm. So... I'm parsing large percentages of calculations. Um, one of the categories of problems that I'm running into is unknown characters. By which I mean like there are, there are characters that people use in calculations or in naming things in particular that aren't standard alphanumeric characters but are valid in FileMaker mm -hmm. that I hadn't told the parser are valid. For example... Uh, the pipe and a hash. So the pound sign. Octothorpe. Yeah, uh, yes, yes, correct. The octothorpe. Um, I found some spots where somebody was putting those into table occurrence names. The pipe is actually relatively common there. And so I was like, oh, okay, well, let's add that to the list of weird characters that we still have to be able to accept uh bumped into a problem with escaped characters in strings so quotes and backslashes it was not ready to see those properly particularly the quotes because it was like first quote second quote everything in there is the string and had no understanding of backslashed escaping so teaching about that uh Decimal values without a number to the left of the period. So I had written the parser to handle 0 0.15. Mm -hmm. But just 0.15 threw it for a loop. Um, and then we get into the weird ones. And these are the ones that, that make me less happy. Um, 
So the weird variance. Um, so the evaluate function accepts optional parameters for trigger fields. So basically, if this value changes, re-evaluate this string as if it were code. And according to the documentation, all that comes after the string to be evaluated, semicolon, and then in square brackets, a list of the fields you want to evaluate. Turns out, completely undocumented, that if you only want one field there, the square brackets are optional. Hmm. So you can just put semicolon field name, and that's acceptable. So you can make a, a really bad file maker, like a functional programming UI where the calculation updates every time you change a value in a field. So you can make a really bad settings table to drive a really bad database. I might do this as a, <laughs> a little hobby project. <laughs> See, like, can I make an entire, like, small application that runs out of a single evaluate function? I'm probably pretty close. It would be a nasty evaluate. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and unfortunately, that starts adding questions. Like, this works. What else works? Like, where else did things break that way? Um, I have it set up so that when you passed, you know, if we've got a function that is not one of the weird ones that I've already characterized, and it has the parentheses, then it's name, open paren, and then one or more parameters separated by semicolons. But it always required that there be a parameter after every semicolon. Mm. Right? Mm -hmm. So three parameters, two semicolons. But you wouldn't have a trailing semicolon. It's the thing that drives me nuts about the let statement. Is I can't do those definitions with semicolon line endings. Because the last one can't have one. Yeah. And I, I mess it up all the time. Well, it turns out that there are functions in FileMaker that allow you to do that. Um, the choose statement, the evaluate statement, and the list function all support trailing semicolons. And maybe more. Those are just the ones I've identified so far. So you can, and as well, case is one of them. So I can do case, test value, test value, test value, closing semicolon, and then nothing in the last parameter. And like, I would always type an empty string there or something, or a zero, something there to hold that space, but it's actually not required. So I was like, oh, okay, so how am I going to handle this thing that works, but only in certain special situations? Mm-hmm. Um, and so now what I need is a FileMaker side unit testing tool to test variations of forms for all the different functions. So for example, with this trailing semicolon, I know it works on case, evaluate, choose, and list, but can you do it with if? 
how many of the other multi-parameter supporting ones do it. So what I really want to be able to do is establish a found set, make a variant of that found set, add a trailing semicolon to every single one of them, dump them back in and go, which of these work? <laughs> because just because my parser accepts it doesn't mean FileMaker accepts it and vice versa. And so mm -hmm. finding the points of non-overlap in that Venn diagram as much as possible, I want to do it without having to find a place where somebody did it. So, but then there are also things that I couldn't have imagined to try and test for. <laughs> and that's my good buddy, Choose. Yeah. So I Choose, oh, go ahead. I forgot this function even existed. <laughs> you sent me a screenshot of it and I'm like, yeah, but that's a custom function. Who cares? And then I was thinking about like, wait a second, that is a function. Yeah. Yeah. So for those people who are not FileMaker developers, Choose is effectively an index-based array accessor. But for the most part, you hard code the array elements into the function. So it's basically choose open paren, the index you want generally as a variable or a field reference. And then after that, a semicolon separated list of the values to pick from. And it's zero indexed, which is especially fun in FileMaker because it's one of the only ones that is. Almost everything else is one indexed. <clears throat> and um, that's what it does is it just picks the appropriate thing off the list. Yeah, it's so bizarre in FileMaker. It feels like a function that was copy and pasted from some other project and they just forgot to take it out. Like maybe somebody <laughs> used to work on Access and came to work at FileMaker and... Like, yeah, you know, I have this. Let me, let me try this. That, oh, oh, crap, we shipped it. Oh, crap. <laughs> now it's there forever. Yeah. So one of the files that I have as a DDR for a super quick test, it's a small database, and I can use this to test things when I don't know how long it's going to take or I don't want to get into too much complexity. And it's just one of the, like, FileMaker 15 or 16 project sample databases you know it's a mm -hmm. four megabyte ddr <laughs> and it's odd that that sounds like a small amount of text four megabytes nothing um <laughs> but in there i found a spot where somebody was using the choose and <laughs> the thing was it turns out that the semicolons between the values in the array that you're picking from, mm -hmm. the semicolons are optional. It looks like they're optional, kinda. Like they're optional if you're using carriage returns to separate the values. Ah, but I have a variant that doesn't use carriage returns. Really? Yes. Oh, man. So it's treating the space as the delimiter? It's even worse than that, because actually the space isn't the delimiter. Is the space one of the values you can choose from? Um, no. But the point is, so so here's what's happening. Um, I can't remember which one I sent you, but effectively, if you remove that space, FileMaker's checker parser turns the double quote, the, the two double quotes, into a backslash double quote. Basically mm. converting from the old way that you would escape a double quote to the new way to escape a double quote. 
And so I, my head goes, hey, that means the space is a delimiter. No, the space is a delimiter for keeping those two double quotes apart. Yeah. But at the tail end of that calculation, I made the last value to be like a function call. To be like, you know, get current, get the year number of the current date. <clears throat> I duplicated that code. So get the month number of the current date. Stuck it at the end of that and put no spaces between them. And it works. So what this means is that when it gets to this choose function, and I have no idea right now how many other possible places this happens, FileMaker parses, like when it gets to that first element in the array, it parses it as a calculation. And when it gets to the end of a calculation, like the next step would cause it to make an invalid calculation, mm -hmm. that's where it breaks it. And starts parsing a new calculation. So as long as FileMaker can tell the difference between those values, it requires no delimiter whatsoever. Ugh. And if you actually, like if I put a, a, a ampersand in between those two values, it would go, well, this is one valid calculation. We're done. But without the delimiter in the middle, it goes, oh, these are two separate calculations. Now... I haven't tested it yet, but I think my parser will be able to handle that. I think it can actually work and it's not going to be too hard. But A, <clears throat> how many other places is this possible? Mm -hmm. And B, what else is possible? <laughs> like, it, the, the idea that you don't need semicolons as parameter separators has just broken it was like somebody going well you know gravity is actually optional like you don't you don't have to use gravity i'm not talking about anti-gravity i'm just saying you can just think yourself into a state of ignoring gravity yeah um you know the old uh bugs bunny cartoons i, I haven't learned about gravity yet therefore gravity doesn't exist <clears throat> so yeah, and then there's this weird thing. So you've had an experience with this recently. There's a bug in the system. Mm -hmm. And it feels weird writing a bunch of code to handle a bug. Because at some point, hopefully, you're going to be able to remove that code. Mm -hmm. But the thing is, the way FileMaker works, I don't know that they're ever going to fix this. Maybe in the next format shift. But I've never seen anybody mention this, so I don't know if they're even aware. Like, do I need to file a bug on this? Again, this code exists in one of their provided sample databases that comes with the product. <laughs> I don't... I don't know what to do, Joe. Yeah. This is really messing up my head. So these are the kinds of things that I really need to be able to test a bunch of databases against this to find where possible problems are. Because there are things that I would never have written a unit test for in a million years. It would never have occurred to me to try. And now... A bunch of things occur to me to try, and I'm still pretty sure that's not everything. Oh, yeah. Um, well, you don't have to get it perfect on version one. Yeah. And think of how many things you added to 
FM perception in the first month or two of it being out mm. there among people who had opinions about it. Yeah. But what it also tells me is that I not only need to make sure that my parser in general is fault tolerant, but that the surrounding application can report that data to a user. Mm -hmm. Like I need to build substantive verbose error reporting into this thing. And in particular, in a way that makes it easy for them to send me that data. This specific calculation is not parsing properly. Please press this button to file a bug report about it. And it just, mm -hmm. bink, spits off an email, and I'll just get a bunch of these. That kind of thing. Because it's now basically 100% that I'm not going to be able to get everything. But it also means that there's a lot more testing that I can do to get a bunch more variants. So, <clears throat> next step, I mean, I can clean up the things that I know about. I have to build the FileMaker side unit testing tool so I can confirm one way or another <clears throat> which of these variants that FileMaker supports. And then, um, so I know which one's FileMaker supports, but I also need to be able to like batch apply, identify a problem and try it against all these different things to find what FileMaker supports to figure out what I need to make the parser support. Mm -hmm. And then I need to adjust my current version so that instead of looking at one file at a time, I'd really like to make a folder crawler variant. So I can hand it, I've got one big folder that has 120 DDRs that have been provided by customers. And I can just hand it that whole thing and go run for an hour, confirm that you could parse everything in all of this. Because eventually I'm going to get to the point that, hopefully, that these kinds of errors are rare. And at that point it will make no sense to hand them off one by one. And then I'm going to have to release it. Mm -hmm. That that thing that I didn't want to do last week. Yeah, I'm going to have to do it. Yeah. I'm going to have to release a little test app, even just in a small group of users, and just say, run everything against this that you can, and send me any errors that it generates so that I can adjust this further. So, yeah. That's um, that's my happiness. But the good news is I have a very clearly defined set of marching orders. There's a bunch of stuff that I have to do now. It is not unclear what I need to be doing this week, which is is good in and of itself. Mm -hmm. Clearly defined problems are almost as good as solutions. So how's things going with you, Joe? Well, I have problems, and I. Don't really have very many solutions. Oh. But Wrong I have, kind of problem. Yeah. So, you know, I spent most of the week working on a website for somebody else and then working on my website and uh, writing some pages of documentation and making a Twitter account and like all this, you know, smaller stuff around the app. Um, then I kind of dove back into the code yesterday and actually spent some time on Friday kind of going over my list of stuff that I had been basically compiling a, a list called retrospective 
dash future of just all the stuff that I wasn't going to do in version one. And that was a really big, ugly text file with just thousands of lines. So I went over that and turned that into, you know, kind of triaged it and went through and got rid of stuff and turned stuff into features and didn't really make a roadmap with all of it, but I kind of sorted it into stuff that I want in roughly the order in which I want to do it. And then kind of copied over a couple of small things into my active checklist of stuff and been working on that. So I'm, I'm hoping to get an app update out this week with a couple of small changes and uh, nice. just kind of keep that rolling every couple of weeks of another another release with any bug fixes and then maybe another feature every once in a while and just kind of keep that pace up until I exhaust the list. A lot of the stuff ha is basically sitting in a part of the document with kind of a shrug emoji and Swift UI 2 question mark. Like a lot of the stuff I don't even want to attempt until Apple fixes a lot of bugs with Swift UI. So one of the things I'm trying to get out the door this week is the text field, Swift UI text field that I'm using in the app because my custom version is too broken. That one lacks any kind of indicator of how to dismiss the keyboard. It's got a return key on the keyboard and you can push that and the keyboard will go away, but that's not clear to the users. It doesn't turn blue. It doesn't say done. Um, there's no way to customize that hmm. in Swift UI. It's just kind of annoying. And I had, you know, I knew about that and wasn't going to do anything about it because I was going to replace this with my custom text field. And it just has too many problems. I solved most of the problems, but it still has too many other problems and I'm just kind of giving up on it. Um, and just using the Swift UI version for now. So what I did, thanks to a friend on Twitter, is basically just fake it. I used an on-tap gesture to change a Boolean value as a state variable. So when you tap on the field, it sets a value to true. If that is true, another button shows up and that button looks like the little keyboard dismiss button. It's right above the field. It's not pretty, but it'll do. Like, it's one of those things that I just don't want to spend any more time on because this is one of those things that Apple needs to fix with this text field, and I don't want to write a bunch of extra code for it. So there's two different versions of this. You got where you make a new timeline, which is not in a form. It's just got a text field and a layout with all those cir the circles for the color picker and the circles for the icon. And this one is the one that looks kind of silly because it just has a little keyboard button kind of floating up in the corner above the field, but it works. And then the other one is on the event entry screen. And that one shows up in the, the section header for the form section. So it, it kind of blends into the UI a little better, but it's there on the screen. It's not really where you would expect it to be. I tried to do kind of a floating circle above the keyboard thing, but that had problems as well. So this will have to do, but I really hate the uh, Swift UI text field and I really hate UI text field. <laughs> and Te text fields should not be this complicated. They really shouldn't. I don't understand why this is so complicated on Apple's platforms of like, it, isn't it kind of assumed that almost everybody needs some kind of text field? 
but they've got this, particularly with UI text field and UI kit, they've got this thing that is so general purpose, it can't possibly suit anybody's needs out of the box. <laughs> it's absolutely horrible. Yeah. Yes, I, I just don't know why they designed it that way. I can see the need for something as customizable as it is, but that should be the second option. They should have a regular text field that people can use that works in a predictable way that follows platform conventions. But they, they don't have that. They don't offer that. I guess they're trying to offer that in Swift UI. They just haven't implemented stuff with it yet. And I don't have any hope that they're going to this year because I checked in with their beta software yesterday just to see what the release notes show. And they've been working on a release of Xcode and another point release of iOS 13. And their release notes are laughable. Like there's just nothing there. As far as I know, they're just not even working on fixing any of the Swift UI bugs. It wasn't even mentioned. So there Which are- un un Unfortunately, doesn't mean that they weren't working on Swift UI bugs. Yeah. But yeah. Um, I've got 12 or so feedback tickets open. None of them have gotten a single response. So it's like, why am I wasting my time on this stuff? It's really frustrating. So yeah, that's why I was so angry when I reached out to the TSI folks and they told me to file the bug. I'm like, are you freaking serious? <laughs> I, used, I used one of my TSIs because filing a bug doesn't do anything. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, I've, I've said it before and it's still true. One of the most frustrating things about working with Apple platforms is effectively developer relations. Yeah. They're just, they're, they're aggressively bad at it. Yeah. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, I, I can't imagine any other company acting this way. And like I said on Twitter a couple weeks ago, I can't imagine treating my customers the way that Apple treats developers. Like I would have to quit working in this industry. I would not be able to live with myself behaving the way that they behave professionally. <laughs> like it's the, it's just bad. Yeah. So anyway, so I'm working on that you know, I've got some more testing to do with it, but I'm planning on shipping that and then kind of just taking a beating for whatever complaints people have around the text field until Apple has a new version. Um, the other feature that I'm working on is improving the shareable images in the app. So right now there is a simple sharing screen and it uses the app purple as a background and then you can toggle that to a white background with the purple text. And I spent some time today adding in the color picker and adding in light and dark variants. So basically you've got three types of background. There's the selected color that uses one of the 10 colors in the color picker and then has white text. Or you have a light variant that has a white background with whatever selected tech color you have and a dark option that has a black background and whatever selected color you have for the text. So three different ways, uh, you know, about 30 combinations of ways of doing things. And uh, it was actually pretty easy to get up and running. 
and uh, didn't really even require any labels. Like everything is just kind of self-evident of like, you know, it loads with a default that looks pretty good. If you just pop open the share sheet and just share that, it'll look good. But if you want to customize it a little bit, you can. So that'll be coming this week. I'm on the fence about adding some like background textures or images. I thought kind of what uh, we talked with Heidi about a couple months ago on Capsicum, they've got some digital tape, kind of like decorative tape at the in the headers of the notebooks. And I thought about doing something like that, maybe finding some patterns, like repeating patterns that I could tile across the top of that. Um, and I found some stuff, some royalty-free stuff I could use that I needed to see about you know, getting stuff that's all in the same you know, quality of image that I could tile easily. But, you know, just little, I don't know, decorative flourishes that you could add. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if that'll be this week or not. That's, that's, as I was looking into it, I'm like, this could be like a bottomless pit of stuff. So. <laughs> yes. Well, that's one of the secrets is that every feature could be a bottomless pit of stuff. Yeah. It's true. So well, there, there's nobody to tell you no, Joe. You could spend the rest of your life on decorative tape. Yeah, I mean does, that doesn't really pay the bills. No, it it, it doesn't. <laughs> you have to be the one to tell you no. Yeah. But any of these features could just take like you could spend the rest of your life working on that share sheet. Mm-hmm. Just cool variations and different ways to make the thing look and just making it awesomer and awesomer and awesomer until you've got the coolest share sheet on the planet. Yeah. I'm going to refactor it into a standalone little app for my own use because I like to have um, basically just title cards or image cards with some of my blog posts and some of the stuff I share on Twitter where I'll just put like maybe the title of a podcast episode when I'm posting a link to the show or a title of the blog when I'm posting a link to the blog. And mm-hmm. on the blog, I'll use that in the featured image section. So it's kind of incorporated into the preview card. Um, but I I usually just generate those in Sketch. There's just a template I open and type in some text and save it out. But I could do the same thing with this and just have a couple of text fields. Each field is assigned to a different portion of the the document. And then maybe a couple of different aspect ratios to have it kind of swap between like square and 16 by nine or two by three stuff like that and then work it it could be nice you know kind of a nice sandbox area to work on this and add features to without actually throwing it directly into retrospective timelines mm-hmm. and just give myself a quick little utility i don't think it's enough of a thing to be a product because people are going to want way more customization than i'm willing to put up with <laughs> but uh yeah that so i'm working on getting these small features updated this week i also have some refactoring to do there was some last minute stuff when i was shipping the app there was some last minute stuff I'm like well i'm just going to duplicate the entire view and rename it like there's some of that stuff i need to go out and kind of combine two of these layouts back into one but uh but yeah, that's kind of it. Not a, not a lot going on this week. You know, I'm just diving back into the code. 
this week for retrospective timelines, but I'm also kind of in salesman mode, trying to secure some work so that I can not die in a couple of weeks when I run out of money. So that's always important. That is one of the ways to lose the game. Yeah. Die. Yeah. Yeah. It will it will completely end your version history for retrospective timelines. Yeah, I don't have any extra lives saved up, so <laughs> you you do now have a thing that you have to worry about as far as estate planning goes. Mm. Like where does the code go? Yeah. Can I leave it to your beard? <laughs> Not you. Your beard very specifically. <clears throat> so it turns out that that's probably a lot like leaving it to to a pet. Mm-hmm. You actually kind of want to leave it to a trust that is for the care of the pet, but not actually controlled by the pet. Mm-hmm. You know, because my beard actually is not very good at uh, Git and source control. Yeah. And so you, you want something that's got those abilities, but yeah. So yeah, that's kind of my update this week. Pretty short. Um, I wanted to touch on another topic briefly. Uh, Because my consulting business gets kind of busy this time of year, as I'm ramping up and looking for work and also working with my existing customers, we are going to take a short hiatus for the rest of the month. Um, So we will be back on January 6th with our regular show. And then from that point on, we are going to start having episodes every other week rather than every week. So that's kind of the two updates there. You have any thoughts on that stuff? Uh, just that I was thinking this is the last show of the month, but it's also the last show of the year, but it's also the last show of the decade. Yeah, really. No is. more shows the rest of the decade. Yeah, taking the rest yeah. of the decade off. <laughs> and we'll be back in 2020. Yeah, that's kind of weird. That's very weird. That, that's so far in the future. 